Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to get into the sermon in Mark chapter 3, verse 7 to 19. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you're working in our lives. Think about all the teams we've been a part of, all the people that we've been in connection with. Maybe it's a soccer team, maybe it's a staff team. Lord, that we are designed for community. Lord, would we know what the church looks like, that we are the church, that we don't go to it, that we are it. Remind us today of, of your goodness, of your grace, of your identity, how we are, our identities are formed in you and you alone. Amen. Well, I remember this, this time in my life when um, I had, we had my first born child, and he's now 11 years old. And um, it, I remember this, this really tricky, I think, team-building exercise of naming a child. Have you ever been a part of that? That is a very tricky thing. And I remember just like going through names and names and names. We'd buy like a thousand and one name book and we'd buy another thousand and one name book and we'd buy another name book. We'd print pages of names off and we'd rip them out, circle them to figure out the names because I think so often names do matter. It got me thinking this past year and I was like, I'm, I, what, like my name is Colby, right? And I was like, mom, like why do you name me Colby? And she goes, well, I just like the name. But... I want to make sure that I wasn't mixed up with the cheese. <laughs> I was like, what a profound thing. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> if you go to the supermarket, there's Colby cheese. I don't understand what that is. Um, I'm not like a cheese person, really. But she said, I like Colby with a K, not a C. And I was like, oh, interesting. Thanks, Mom. Right? But my kids started asking this question, like, like why did you name me this? Or why did you name me this? Or why, why did you name us the way we, with what our name is, but now I can't imagine my little human beings, my 11-year-old, my 9-year-old, my 7-year-old, being anyone but them, right? That's the beautiful thing about a name, right? It becomes so much of, of who we are. It becomes like a bit of our identity. Think about the names that define you. Remember as a child, people named me shy. Have you ever had like a name, like a, a characteristic put on you that defined you? Like that's for me as a kid. I was like, Colby is shy. He's quiet. And maybe there's something for you. Like there's, maybe there's like a, your attention deficit or you're anxious or you're shy or you're outgoing or you're loud. Like there's all these characteristics I put on our name that like we add to our name. We often so let names define us. Names are so significant in our culture. So I was doing some reading about names this past day we're talking about this, is that actors so often change their names. It's amazing. If you just go online, I was going to put up names on here, but if you go online, it's like search actors have changed their names. I'm like, why did you change your name to that? It's like just like little subtle changes. They say that actually if there's a tornado or a hurricane that comes through and it's, say, Christian, Christian is three times more likely to give and support like the Red Cross humanitarian efforts for that hurricane that someone's name isn't attached to that hurricane. Like we, it does matter what things are named. 
You see, I think so often names for us show us what we want to accomplish or who we want to become. We're looking at Mark's gospel. We were looking at this for the last few months, and we'll be here for probably the next year. And John Mark is an eyewitness account to Jesus' life. He was a disciple. He was an eyewitness. And I want to look at today about the significance of a name that Jesus gives his disciples a name how they receive that name and how they live into that name. And I want us to understand that today is how does Jesus give us a new name? How do we receive a new name? And how do we live into that new name? Let's go to Mark chapter 3, verse 7. If your Bibles open up, we use a translation called the CSB. We love it. It's incredible. It's a, the most accurate, readable translation in the market. Also, another great translation is called the ESV, which we like. It's just a little more wordy sometimes. So get there, Mark chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what it says. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee. And a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, so the crowd wouldn't crush him, since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing towards him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Jesus went up to the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and of authority to drive out demons. He pointed the twelve to Simon. He gave the name Peter. To James, the son of Zebedee. And to his brother John, he gave them this epic name, Sons of Thunder. Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. You see, look at the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, you know, you look at this in verse 7, and he's departing with the disciples, and large crowds followed him from all these different areas. They followed him from all these spots. The cool thing, this is what David talked about last week, is at the very end of his passage, what happened was is that he, he brought opposing people together. So people who hated Jesus from different ruling factions gathered together. People who you'd never think would gather together to fight against someone came together. That's like like the conservatives and the liberals coming together, right? It's like they would never join forces, but they are because they're like unified against what they're against. You see, there's a crowd here that shows up and it shows that Jesus had such popularity. It's like the height of his popularity, I think in the gospel of Mark, is this, real, this passage in verse seven. It says he went out in public. People came from all these places. They came from Tyre and Sidon, 100 miles to the north of Jerusalem and Judea. People came from 100 miles to see Jesus. Judea and Jerusalem were both Jewish, Jewish provinces, and Tyre and Sidon were Gentile provinces, and Idumea and Gal in the Galilean era were multi ethnic, multi racial places. You see, this is a great time of, of ethnic tension. 
You think we're always in those kind of times. There's always times of tension of ethnicities and political upheaval. You see, Jesus, his popularity cut across all of that. It just drew people to himself. You see, people are coming to him from everywhere. Crowds are coming to Jesus from all over the place. They said the crowds were so large that it could crush him. They were dangerous. You see, how does Jesus respond to all this popularity? All this popularity, all this fame, all this notary. How does Jesus respond to all that? It's a remarkable thing. He goes up into a mountain and he begins naming people and renaming people. See, when you look at Jesus, the people he brought to himself, the men he brought, he chose of, of all this popularity, of all these amazing people that were coming to him for healing, for demons to be driven out, all these people that came to Jesus, he chooses nobodies. Let's look at them for a second. Like four of them were fishermen. One was a hated tax collector. Another was a member of a radical, violent political party. Six of them we know nothing about. But all were laymen. There was not a preacher, an expert in the scriptures. These were no, no ones. They were nobodies. That's who Jesus calls out. But he gives them a new name. Right? He gives them significance, belonging. It's amazing that these people who are nobodies, who were like outcasts, Jesus actually says, I'm going to use to build a church. I'm going to build a movement. I'm going to build a movement that's going to last for over 2,000 years. It's going to keep on going and seeing people healed and saved. He says, I'm going to use these nobodies to bring my news to the ends of the earth. In verse 14 and 15, it talks about the fact that he named the apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach, to have authority to drive out demons. He designated them. He had named them. This Greek word, nomen, which actually we get our English word for name from, means to put a name on them. He's saying that you are now the sent ones. You're my apostles. You're sent into this world. He goes down to people's individual lives after this, after he names all of them collectively and says, you're my apostles, you're now sent. And he gives like specific names. To Simon, he names him Peter. And James and John names them the sons of thunder, which is a very interesting term. And we're not even really sure why the point of Jesus naming and renaming, but really what it's talking about is in this time of Jesus. In ancient times, names were extremely important. The naming was an act of great importance. That your name was supposed to convey the essence of who you were and who you are. If you went through a great change in your life, you change your name. You have multiple names. If you're a great person, you'd actually add things on to your name. It's almost like so often when, um, like once I applied for a, a MasterCard. Have you ever done this before? Maybe you haven't, but I always like look at the like, little prefixes to the name, right? Like I could put on doctor. 
but I'm not a doctor. I could put on, I'm like, I could put on masters, <laughs> right? Like we still do this. We'll still add things to our names to show how significant we are, whether or not you're married or not. We'll attach things to our names. You see, I think so often in this time, names were so significant. If someone knew your name, they had power over your name. I think it's quite often that I have a nickname for some of my kids. And um, one time we were out doing something, and I, I said this nickname of one of my children, and someone else said that nickname. And my kid said, don't call me that. <laughs> I was like, what? This is a weird thing to think about. But I think about that too for my, my own self, is that my mom has a nickname for me. And if someone calls me that who doesn't know me like that, I'm like, you don't have the place in my life to call me that. Maybe it's a spouse as a nickname for you, or maybe it's a, a nickname that a parent has for you as a child. You see, names do matter. And Jesus is saying here is that the way he names you is significant. See, if you believe deep down in your life that you're ugly, and Jesus names you beautiful, and he will. He can't be wrong because his name imparts the beauty in your life. If you're weak, and Jesus names you strong, which he also will, he will make you strong. In other words, Jesus has the divine, divine power to call into being out of nothing that which he names as he names it in your life. He calls you and I out of nothing into something. He's speaking something over our lives. You see, there's a, a piece here where you look at our lives and say, what is our identity? Like, what do we build our lives on? Like, everybody in this room has a working identity. What that means is that someone, we don't want to just be like a faceless person in the crowd, that we actually want significance. We want to bring something to this world, that we want to be known as someone or something. Maybe we want to be known as being loved by someone, or we want to bring something beautiful to this world, or we want to be an entrepreneur, or we want to be whatever it is that you want to bring. You, just want to, you don't want to be a faceless person in the crowd. That we all want to be unique individuals. But it gets us asking the question of how do we find our identity? See, Jesus is saying just like to the Apostles, that you're sent people, that we're sent people into this world. But how are you getting your identity? What's being spoken over your life? See, I think if we look at how we get a new name, if God actually showed up this morning and it suddenly dropped a piece of paper into your lap of your identity, I don't think you understand it. I don't think I'd understand it. You see, I think so often the way in our Western individualistic society believes that our identity is formed by ourselves. You see, Jesus shows up here, and there's three things I want to talk about when he talks about how we get a new name, how we get a new identity. Is that Jesus does kind of three things. He's, he's sending, he's calling, he's walking with. See, he send, sends them. Says they're sent people. Jesus names the apostles and says, You are my apostles. They had no idea what it meant to be sent people. See, Jesus sends them out to do two things 
to preach the word and cast out demons. I think in modern times, we'll talk about this quite a bit in the next few weeks, the people want to talk about this, that there's a lot of demon stuff in the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark, and we'll get to that. But you see, Jesus has this massive crowd, and he goes up the mountain, and he does leadership development. You see, he's, he's calling them out, saying, you're actually going to be sent people now. He's sending them out, saying, I'm going to actually send you out in the world to liberate people, to free them from what binds them, to serve people through word and action. You see, this is the command of every single Christ follower out there. And this is why we called our church Live Free, that we want to be people passionate about Jesus that are sent out by Jesus to liberate people, to free them from what binds them. Because we ultimately believe that free people free people. See, Jesus is saying here is that if you just try to find yourself directly, you never will. If you're sitting around contemplating, who am I? What do I have? Do I have what it takes to do whatever it is I'm called to do? You're never going to actually find out who you really are. Unless you go. Unless you're sent. Unless you're sent into the people's lives around you. So often I think about, we miss the fact that we're like, well, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with sharing my faith, but maybe it just means being sent to your family, to your neighbors, to your coworkers. It just means sharing with people how Christ has impacted your life, who has freed you from the things that you struggle with most. Or maybe the things you still struggle with because we're human beings. You see, what he's talking about here is that we're sent ones. We're sent ones to free people. See, in the process of being sent is that's how you find your name, your identity. You don't just find your identity watching church online at home, that you actually find yourself in the midst of being called into a community. That's the next thing. So he goes up to the mountain. He doesn't just call eight or 10 or 13, not 15, but 12. Everybody knows in that time what this meant, which I think we kind of lose this meaning. See, Jesus is reminding everyone strongly of Moses. The Moses went up to a mountain. He called the 12 tribes together and constituted a new nation. See, Jesus is a second Moses, the ultimate Moses. He comes up to the mountain and calls 12 together. This is Jesus' way of saying, I'm creating a new people, a new nation, a new humanity, a new community. See, in that community that we're called to, and only in that deep community can we find out who we're really called to be. Have you ever like listened to your voice? Like, does anyone actually in this room love their voice when you hear it recorded back? <laughs> I do this thing once in a while where um, I'll listen to my sermon that I preach on a Monday morning. And uh, see, I need a lot of grace for myself. Because I'm like, I sound like that? I'm so nasally 
Am I sick? Did no one tell me to blow my nose? Like, I can't believe that. But it's an amazing thing that when you think about it, we forget what we even sound like because so often we don't hear ourselves through our ears. It's through our throat that we hear our own voice. So we sound, we think we sound so profound. But when I hear it back on YouTube, I'm like, I sound like that? I can't believe people show up on a Sunday to hear me. It's painful. Like, I want to, like, throw myself off a cliff because it's just an... I can't believe that's what I sound like. But I think here's what community does. Community shows you what you're really like. Authentic and true community. It shows you the flaws. It shows who you really are. It shows you what you really sound like. And yet they love you anyways. Like we have community groups in our church, and we don't call them Bible studies, and we don't call them life groups. We call them community groups because I believe ultimately that in community, in Christian community, when we express our true vulnerable selves to each other in a safe place, which takes a long time actually to be honest and vulnerable and real and raw, that actually we can become more and more like Jesus. We can't become like that alone and isolated at home. You see, when we're isolated in a home alone, I think we can hear a different narrative of who we are. See, if there's no one who dares to speak into your life, who shows you who you really are, who holds the mirror up to your own life and says, this is who you are, in a gracious and compassionate way, you're not a community. You know, if you're not willing to admit weakness and neediness and anxiety and fear and brokenness, then where would you ever admit it? We did this amazing thing in my community group about a year and a half ago where we just, like, shared people's stories. I remember, like, one night just being, like, so broken over the fact that these people are willing to share all that with us. No one's like, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you thought that. I can't believe you did that. Okay? No one said that. People just said, we love you. We're for you. Christ loves you and he's for you. You see, when you look at your life, we're sent people into this world into Kelowna. We're called into community. That's how we form our identity. That's how Christ names us. He's named us sent ones and called ones. You have to realize that you're never going to become the person that Jesus is calling you to be alone. You're never going to become that person alone. You're never going to become that person alone watching a digital service online. You're never going to become the person when people aren't willing to get into the nitty-gritty of your life and say, this is who you really are. And I'm willing to work you through it, walk you through it. The third part of knowing how Jesus names you is walking with Jesus. I love this passage where this part really hit me this past week. That he appoints the 12, he names the apostles to be with him. See, that's the language of intimacy, isn't it? To be with Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't say, yeah, you know what? 
I'm going to point you to be with me on Monday and Wednesday and Friday from 11 to 12. That's it. You're annoying me. Sons of thunder, you're frustrating me. Right? He didn't say that. He didn't say, beat it. He says, actually, you're going to walk alongside me for three years. And when resurrected, you're going to walk alongside me for the rest of your life. You see, that's when we're named We're sent people, we're called people, we're people that walk with Jesus every single day. It's being a disciple means a life with, an apprentice, learning alongside. I got to do this this program um, years and years and years ago before um, David and Leah are in this program. And um, it's like an apprenticeship program. And I remember my, my pastor came to me and said, hey, Colby, do you want to be an apprentice of mine? And I was like, it was actually some lame name, but I I was like, I like that idea of apprentice. And um, he explained to me it's three years. And I was like, why is it three years long? Like, it's obviously it's a biblical thing, right? It's like disciples walk with Jesus for three years. And my mentor said this thing to me. He goes, you know what? So often, this is what he said, in a mentorship-apprenticeship relationship, the first year you can kind of like show the best part of yourself. Right? Like, you can kind of, like, fib it. Like, they call that, like, in a relationship, the honeymoon phase. That person is incredible. They have no flaws. Right? But the second, third year, that's when, like, I remember I'd apologize to people in my church. I remember the one time I messed up, and I went to my mentor, and, and he said, hey, um, I said, it's okay, you can fire me if you want. Right? I can't believe how I messed up this bad. And he goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy ice cream. Take this family as like a youth pastor in training, and you're going to apologize to them and their whole family. I was like, I'm going to do what? He goes, yeah, can't wait. Hangs up the phone, <laughs> tells me to go buy ice cream, go buy ice cream. And I'm bringing this bag, save on bag. I'm like so nervous, but I'm so thankful he pushed me. That's like the nitty gritty of being in community, actually of walking with someone is, is to slowly be shaped and transformed. That doesn't happen sometimes in a minute. It happens over the course of a life of walking alongside Jesus. But he gets us asking this question, how do we live into the name that Jesus gives us of being sent people, called people into community? People who people who walk alongside Jesus for their whole lives, not just for a minute, not for a moment, but their whole lives. How do we live into that? You see, I think so often, as I wrap this up and bring the worship team back, in, back up here, is that so often our name is no longer defined by our accomplishments and our achievements. Our name is, is shaped by Jesus. It's shaped by his name. It's shaped by what he's done on the cross. It's shaped by his life. It's knowing that no name could be put on you that could take away any power. There's no height or depth, anything that can separate us from God's love. Like, how do we live into this new name? You have to realize that you can't achieve it. You can't earn it. But through Christ, you receive it. We receive salvation so freely. We receive a new name and a new identity. 
It's saying to people around you that I'm actually changed by Jesus, not by anything I've actually do or earn. It's by something that Jesus did on the cross for me that changes me for eternity. That if I want to even like walk away from all this, I could never forget the love that Christ has for me. I can never just walk away because I know his love is depth of his love that transforms and changes me. You see, you live into this name knowing there's nothing you can do. It's amazing that, think about so many people's names in human history. And Jesus says to these 12 men who are nobodies that these names will never perish. If these names are going to be in the book of life forever, so what happens is for them, in a parallel passage of Luke 10, they end up and they drive out demons and they come back and they go, Lord, look at what we've done. He goes, don't you ever be defined by that. But rejoice that your names are always written in heaven. That I will always define you. I will always have named you my son or my beloved daughter. That your name now is defined by his name. That your name isn't defined by what you've done, but it's defined by what Christ has done on the cross. That your name isn't defined by your sin, but by the person who took on your sin. Your name isn't defined by your worst moments. They're defined by Jesus' worst moments on the cross. That's incredible news for you and I. That we to live, transform, and change knowing that our name is what defines us, but Jesus' name defines all of our existence. Let's pray. God, we have so many things. I have so many things that define me. And for some people, would you just drive this home today that there's nothing they can earn or achieve that would give them significance, but through Christ, through you, we receive salvation so freely. We remember what you've done. Will we be sent people? Will we be called people? Will we be people that walk alongside you for our whole lives in Kelowna, in our families, in our friends, in our coworkers? Lord, will we be people that radically are changed and marked by you? Amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.